0: If you happen to carry one of these in your Bibles, we've got a whole bunch back there. This is our series right now, our identification in Christ. Uh, we're going to be saying Ephesians 3, or 1, 3 through 3-14 together in just a minute. We'll have it up on the slide. But maybe, maybe somebody took me seriously and said, I'll memorize it. Anybody out there yet? Just that's... No, he's just scratching his head. I got excited. I said, oh, yes, we got one. Nobody's done it yet? I said, yeah. Does that sound like something I'm expecting? Okay. Maybe you will. It would be worth your time. We're going to read it together here. Um, Let's see. Here it comes. Uh Uh-huh. There it is. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will, According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. After the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. You got all that? Wow, that is one terrific section of Scripture. I love it. I'm glad we're going to get this time to walk through it together. Um, Today, we're going really into verse number 4. It's the page, if you're filling out blank pages, it's called Chosen. 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 In verse number four it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's where we're going to go. But let's ask the Lord's help. We've got to have that today, certainly. Heavenly Father, your word is fantastic. We just read a big chunk of it, and uh, there is much, much, much here we have to learn. And even our topic today is too big for us. It's way too big for us. We, we try to understand these things, and yet we see through a glass darkly, as Scripture says so clearly about us. We've got such a small view and such weak eyes, and sometimes our faith goes along that way, and it, it's not as great as it ought to be. But you're faithful to us. You're so good. You have not only recorded your word in such a way we can pull it up and read it any time, any time at all, but also you have given to us the Holy Spirit as our teacher. And as we spend this time in your word, Lord, it is you who guides us through it and gives us what we need to know and how we're supposed to respond. So we submit ourselves to you again as we open up your word, study from it, and pray that you challenge us and warm our hearts and bring us to that place where we appreciate all the more what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an identity in Christ. As we study today, help us. It's a hard topic, but it's a good one. So teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have quite a task before us today. In the identification of the believer in Jesus Christ, we have at least nine significant recognitions Of what the Trinity has given to you. And that's what those pages all represent. Those are just nine. The fact that the Father selected you. He has blessed you. He has chosen you. He has made you holy. He has made you blameless. He has predestined you and adopted you. That's a lot. That's not all though. We also see that in the Son's salvation of you that you are redeemed and you are forgiven. And that's not all. There's still more. And it speaks as well of the Holy Spirit's work in you to seal you. As far as the fact that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, I don't even know how big that can be. Our study is just touching the tip of an iceberg, as we've always used that phrase. Just barely touching it. And I think that if we wanted to try to exhaust the topic, we would never get out of chapter or verse number 3. Just looking for what is every spiritual blessing. It's too big. It's enormous. It would take the rest of our lives to study, I know. And then we'll get to heaven and find out we missed something. Because it's that big. So, what we get today, understand, is just a fragment. It's just a little piece of all the things that we are told in this passage. And yet, one little piece is enormous. And that's what fascinates me about it. J. Bernard McGee in his commentary said, "Uh, these verses are like walnut. Hard to crack, but there's a lot of goodies on the inside. I said, okay, well... If this is like a walnut, the topic we discussed today, for some people, is a petrified walnut. Uh, Chosen is a hard conversation for some. It's a hard one. Here's how it goes. We're going to talk about being chosen in Christ. Yeah, but. And we've got a lot of them. Things like this, and I'll be up front with you, as we unravel this text, we're going to deal with some things that you probably can easily be wrestling with right now. One question that usually comes to the surface whenever you talk about God choosing us is that, does that negate our choosing in any part? After all, we have been told that we have a free will to choose for ourselves. That little statement I give to you there, I've heard it a lot, honestly. Um, and there are actually two different things that it addresses. First of all, when we use the word free will in the conversation, we put it down in choosing, in our Topic. So, the first thing is free will. The second thing is choosing two different topics in one question. Free will. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because that's the one that divides into theological camps, too. It's pretty significant. Uh, we especially like the word free. Right? Just to be straight with it. Yes, implying that we are free to make any choice we desire to make. What does Scripture say? Let's go to a few passages. You're right here in Ephesians, I hope. Chapter 1. Back up maybe one page in your Bible to Galatians 5. Maybe two pages. Galatians 5, start on page 16. If you're a digital guy, you got to go and punch all the new numbers in. Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Now, there is a reality that you're about to see... And we've covered this many years ago, actually, here. Uh, there's a reality here that there are two mentioned in this passage of Galatians 5 competing for your actions. Two are, one is the Holy Spirit, and the other is the flesh. They are both competing to accomplish their program in you. And you cannot be controlled by both of them at the same time. That's impossible. You cannot walk by the Spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what it says. And we're going to see this as we walk through it. Start in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's this thing they call a, what is it, Super Bowl? Once in a while they have it. I think it's tonight, isn't it? You have two opposing teams. Both of them have the same mission, that is to win. This team has to get all the way down there with a little ball, we call the pigskin, the football. They've got to get that ball down across that line, and those folks have to get that same ball down across this line. They are not working together. They are not cooperating. They're not saying, okay, you could have one dime and then give us one time. They're not even nice about that, is, are they? But the point is, you're the football. One is going to carry you down their way. The other is going to try to get it and carry you the other way. You know, that's a conflict. That's what I call the battleground inside of us. The Holy Spirit is at work in you as a believer in Christ to have you produce the fruits of the Spirit. And yet you have a nature within you that the flesh wants to dominate. And guess what it wants to produce? Everything but the fruit of the Spirit. And the list is in this passage. Now let me ask you this. Where is free in any of that? It says, as it says, that you may not do the things that you please. The football doesn't get the choice. It gets carried. That's one picture I set before you. King James says, you cannot do the things that you would there's nothing free in that, so let's try another passage, okay, maybe we do Romans chapter seven. Anyone cringe when I say that chapter? Romans chapter seven, start in verse fourteen, start in verse fourteen. oh, I went to Romans seven fourteen that won't work. Romans seven fourteen. Watch again the conflict between the two. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. Underscore that last phrase. Sold into bondage to sin. How free is that? For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good, so now no longer am I the one doing it for sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Underline that. In your thinking at least. That is in my flesh. For the the willingness present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present uh, in me and the the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner... See it? A prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body or the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand... I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And if you carry that just down to chapter 8, verse number 2, he says there are three laws. There's the law of the spirit of life. There is a law of sin. There is a law of death. There is no middle ground anywhere. No place in between all those. Scripture teaches us that we're operating by one law... Or another law? We're in bondage to our Savior and His Spirit, or we are in bondage to the flesh? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's complicated to say it. But if my will is not free, do I still have one? (laughs) Yes, Yes, you do. I do. But it's like your heart. It's like your conscience. It's like your mind. It's like your flesh. It's been affected by sin too. Don't think for a minute that our wills are something unique, that they haven't been affected by sin. It's not just our souls that have reaped the consequence of sin. It's all of us. Our entire being has been affected by sin. In every aspect, we are affected by sin, including our ability to choose what is right and what is good. And do you know what? God knows that. God knows that. And He's at work in you right now. Do you know that? He's at work in you to change your will to conform to His will. I love that little verse in Philippians chapter 2. It's verse 13 and 14, by the way. It's two verses. It says, So then, my brethren, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means you've got it, so work it out. It's, it's pretty intimidating when you think about it. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. God's at work in you. To change that will to match His. We almost need a caution sign on our shirt. Let people know, look out, God's in here. <laughs> He's at work. That's pretty intimidating. But God's at work. So when I get asked, and I have been many times asked, uh, if I have a free will, I reply, No. I don't have a free will. Understand that? I am either captive to the Spirit or I'm captive to sin. I do not trust my will. Just to be honest with you. I do not trust it. It's bent to choose what is wrong. And it will every opportunity it gets. It's like the rest of me. Apart from God, I am nothing. That's the reality. So I seek... That God will change my will to match His. That's the prayer. That's the response. So when the topic of chosen comes up, as in God chooses us, that's one of the questions people wrestle with. How can He choose me? I thought I'd get to choose Him. Romans 3, 10-12. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands... There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Anyone want to protest that verse? Nope? Alright. It's pretty potent. Okay. So doesn't that choice of God then lead to another problem? As we're thinking it through, people ask this too. If God chooses some to salvation, what about those he doesn't choose? Does he choose others to condemnation? If God does not choose somebody, doesn't he choose them for hell? That's a hard question. In theological circles, that's a tough mental puzzle It's called double predestination. You ever hear those words? It's pretty heavy stuff. You have to pay a lot in seminary to learn that word. Double predestination. That's the idea that God predestines some to heaven, and he predestines others to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter 9. If you're still in Romans, just turn a page or two. You might still be around 8. Here, chapter 9, verse 14. Alright, seatbelts on. Ready? Verse 14, chapter 9 of Romans. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? You want to answer it? No, that's true. There's no injustice with God. May it never be. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, And he hardens those whom he desires. You will say to me then, Well, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump? One vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, here's the hard one, verse 22, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with patience, much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand beforehand for glory. And this is where you go, what? What am I looking at here? Let's step back to verse 22. God endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Oh, it just said it, didn't it? Is that God's choosing individuals to be cast into the lake of fire forever? Let me ask you some questions. What is the wages of sin? Oh, you're good with that. That's perfect. Yes, that's what Scripture says. Do you know that God promised that to Adam before he sinned? Isn't that what he said? The day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. So, prior to sin, God had already set up the consequence of sin, right? That was his, his, his concept to tell him. So, the concept of punishment was enforced Before Adam sinned. I just want to put that in order. Because God declared, whoever sins is worthy of death. They become vessels of wrath that are now set for destruction. In other words, He sets the consequence, and this is how I'm going to do it. He didn't have to predestine any individual to it, because what He said was that the individual who sins falls into the wrath. He predestined the wrath. It wasn't the individual. He wasn't just saying, that one and that one and that one and that one. And here's what the reality is. The consequence of that sin, that wrath, is true for all of us, apart from Christ. That was our consequence too, right? Right? The wages of sin is death. We all deserved it. We all deserved it. He could have stopped at verse number 22 and said, There it is. That's the reality. I thank the Lord for His mercy. Because if it wasn't for His mercy, that would be the end of the story. We all deserved it. So he didn't have to go around picking individuals to put him in there. We committed the sin. We fell into His wrath. That's the whole picture. So let's look on the next verse and see something beautiful. And yet, he talks about vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. And here, folks, really is the wonder of it all. Mankind is destined, due to the consequence of sin, by the law that God established, to be cast out forever. The soul that sins will die. And yet, God in His mercy reached out and saved vessels of wrath to be vessels of mercy. These, notice one phrase that's different from verse 22 and 23. These ones God prepared beforehand. In other words, His choosing, His selecting of those who gain His mercy, He thought of long before beforehand. He didn't say that of the vessels of wrath. Just the vessels of mercy. What this is saying is simply this. As Dr. Mal Couch taught me at Tyndale Seminary. He says, it's not that God saved some and condemned others. That's not the question. The question is, why did he save any at all? Why? Did he save any at all? Let, Let me tell you something. All right? If I'm stomping on your toes right now, it's on purpose. Just to be honest. Because I thought this through and it came back at me. It looked me right in the face and said, ah, and it pointed that finger at me too. The sticking point in all of these questions, when we cross these, this bridge, we try to equate our will and our choosing to the same level of God's will And God's choosing. We match him to ourselves. And try to understand what that is that he has done. Our will is affected by sin. His is not. Our choosing has in it our own pleasure. This is where it gets very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Our choosing has in it our own pleasure. Just to be honest, Uh, when we assert our own will, are we not doing this in some degree for our own pride? God's choosing operates at a far different level than ours does. He is not unjust. He is not unfair. All of His attributes operate at a perfect level all the time without a single slip, without a single shade of anything less than perfect. That's heavy theology when you stop and think about it. I just say it straight. If God had not chosen me, I would have never chosen Him. He did it. He did it. Why is this one topic... The one that confuses people and has brought up debates for years and years and years and years and years. It's in theological books all over the place. Why is this the case? I will tell you what I think is the answer to that. Why is this so hard? Because I believe that in being chosen, you have it in your identity in Christ. And Satan does not want you to know it. He does not want you to understand it. He purposely sets us up to be confused, to even accuse God of injustice, to assert our own pride. And if you recall, that is the very thing that Satan did in his first sin. And by the way, it's the same trick he brought in to introduce to Eve when he suggested to her very simply that God was leaving things out of her experience that would have made her wiser. He sows distress. And this topic, when we go down that road of equating God's way with man's way and make it sound like we have to understand God on our level, we are starting to insert an awful lot of man in the picture. And we get confused. We get confused. But if we step back, folks, and this is what we're going to do this morning, when we step back and see that chosen is among the spiritual blessings that God has given to us, we start to see what it's all about. Let's keep this in mind. God's act of choosing is not the same as the way we choose. We choose our preferences. We choose what pleases us. There's that commercial, and, and I just chuckle at it every single time where all these little kids are out on the playground about to play basketball, and they're picking teams. And sitting, standing there, you got all these little four-and-a-half-foot-tall kids, and you got, who was that, Charles Barkley or somebody, standing up in the middle of them, and it's like, this is a no-brainer, who are you going to pick? <laughs> you're playing basketball, I'll, I'll take him. It's like, we do that, don't we? You've been in that uncomfortable world of junior high where they pick teams for things and maybe you weren't just as athletic as the last guy and a lot of people are picked before you or maybe you're the last one on the list. We're very uncomfortable with that system. That's the way we pick. We picked that way. God's ways are not our ways, Scripture says. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They are much higher They are much purer. They are much greater. And so when you pull this text out, and look at it again in Ephesians. Got to go back. I'll have you in a couple more passages before we're done here. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as... I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That little phrase, just as, is a very important link. Or according as, you might have it if you're reading a King James today. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing to the degree that he has chosen us also. It's a measuring term, just as. To the degree that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, to that same degree He has chosen you. In other words, to be chosen in this context is not inferior to the blessings of God. It's on the same plane. If you like the fact that God has blessed you, then you should love the fact He also chose you. Because they operate together, not one as a sub-point, you see. Just as. It's a measuring term to show the balance here. In other words, if God would bless us and love us, knowing full well that we deserve death. We are sinners who are justifiably cast out forever, if that was his choice. We were sinners, and scripture says, and yet God loved us. And Christ died for us. Wrap yourself around that for a few minutes. Say, wow. He chose us then, folks, when we were in a state where no one would have chosen us. He chose us while we were in a state where no one would have chosen us. In Romans chapter 9, I'm going to back up a few passages here, let's, let's go for a walk, Romans chapter 9, we were just here a little bit ago, but we didn't back all the way up to verse 11, here's a story about a young lady named Rebecca, she has twins, one is named Jacob, the other is named Esau, And what Scripture says in verse 11, For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I have hated. How did they earn that? It tells you they didn't. It was even before they were born that God had made a choice. God had made a choice. That's a hard one. But it's reality when you read the words. You just saw it before they had done anything. Before they were even born. Now, let's back up way into the Old Testament here. Let's try Deuteronomy chapter 7. That's a long ways back there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7. God is giving an address through Moses to the people of Israel. He wants them to know how special they are. Right? They've just spent 40 years trying to convince God to throw them away. (laughs) They sinned and sinned and sinned. And if anyone ought to be pitched, it was these guys by now. And here's what God said in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other peoples, but that you were the fewest of all the peoples. And because the Lord loved you and kept his oath which he swore to your forefathers. It's simple. Israel did not gain God's favor. He gave it to them. He chose them and he loved them. And you might be surprised if you read through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. (laughs) But that's God's choice. They did not earn that at all. One more. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Then I'll give you a rest for just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse number 26. This passage has meant a great deal to me. It helps me in ministry. It helps me to help people in ministry. When I read verse 26. Uh, through 29 for consider your calling brethren that there were not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. I think that's an amazing passage. He did not choose us because of who we are. It wasn't our intelligence, it wasn't our wealth, it wasn't our talent. It wasn't even our good looks. <laughs> it's not even the potential of what we could be. That God says, yep, there's hope for that one. It's just like salvation. We were not chosen by our works, and we're not saved by our works. The word chosen, we've talked about it quite a bit here today, is the word eklegomai. my sounds like a fun word, "ek." Legomai means to choose, to select, to choose for oneself. Let me break it down for you. Lego is the Greek word to say, to speak, to call. Ek means out of, out of. The question I had immediately was, out of what? (laughs) Because honestly, you can't call somebody out of something unless they're in it. Does that sound right? They have to be in something to be called out of something. And the picture we have this morning, picture this. A giant pot of destruction. The wrath of God. God looked your way and he called you out of that. He chose you. He chose you. Let that settle in your heart for a minute. He didn't have to. He did. He chose you. And here's what happens, because here you are, a believer in Jesus Christ, one who God has chosen, and then you, you sin, you do something you know is not pleasing to God. Does your enemy know that? Oh yes, he does. He goes up before the throne and he says, ha, <laughs> there they are. Look at them. They're just rotten as can be. Give them up, God. They can't follow you. They're not going to." Obey you. They don't want you. God, they sin against you. He accuses us day and night. And then he comes back to your heart. And what does he say to you? He says, you know what? God doesn't love you. No, you sinner. God does not want you. Uh Uh-uh. God has seen your sins and he detests you. He's abandoned you. He's walked away from you. He is... Wants nothing with you anymore. Have you ever had that argument in your heart? Oh boy. It's there, isn't it? It's there. And yet, all the way through this passage, God is saying, I saw you. I loved you. I chose you. Aren't those beautiful words? Here's something even bigger. Heck, Lego, my, my. The end of that little word means what we call a middle voice. What's that mean? Two things. One, it says this. I myself chose you. That's powerful when you think it through. God didn't need anybody else to influence his choosing. I myself chose you. Isn't it great to be chosen by him and not some agent that he sent out? Like, angel, go, go get that one. No, nope. God did it himself. That's powerful. I myself chose you. The second thing is this. I chose you myself for myself. I chose you for myself. For myself. Do you know how much God loves you and wants you? This is the word that says it all. I chose you for myself, he says. I, I, it's hard to just keep going without breaking down and thinking about that. But I add another part. It's written in what we call the verb tense, the aorist tense. That means it's done. Put a period right there. If you don't have one, you might think it at least. Put a period there. He is not still evaluating whether or not he will choose you. You're not going through some qualification phases right now in order to get into the chosen branch. He's not working through a process of, cho- of choosing you and waiting until the process is finished. He has already done it. Mark that. He's done it. It's your identity now. That's what he says. It's a, you're already chosen. You're already chosen. And before you start to think that this is somehow something you managed in order to be chosen, look at the rest of the phrase. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the world was made. Now, if you want to admit that you're that old, go ahead and put yourself in there. But you, 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 you can't convince me Other than this, God chose you and God chose me on something other than our merit. How much did you do before the world was made? Nothing. Let me express it to you. I'm going to sum this up real simple. This phrase, He chose us is qualified by several very important statements. He chose us in proportion to the way he blesses us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How do you think he chose you? (laughs) That's amazing. He chose us, and two words I didn't miss. I left them for this moment. In him. That's in Christ. You were chosen in Christ. It is not what you have done. It is what Christ has done for you. Underscore that very importantly. I want to say this. Because if you ever think that you can become unchosen, then you better start to figure out how to erase Christ and the cross. Because that's what it's linked to. Not to your merit. It's to His merit. In Him, you were chosen. He chose you for Himself. He intentionally chose you. He chose you before there was a world and before we could influence that choosing. And all that is said, jump down to verse 6 and look at these words. Ephesians 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. That's the defining terms for why. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He, by the way, you like the word freely? You can have it now. Freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. It was His gracious act. Folks, let me say it. God does nothing by accident. Never has, never will. There is a purpose for His choosing you. He didn't just randomly just throw out a bunch of choosings and they land on whoever they did. He chose you for a reason. He chose me for a reason. Do you know what it is? Because if you know what it is, then you can live in light of it, can't you? You can live according to it. You can serve because you know why He chose you. You can live out His purpose that He has for you in choosing you. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. He says, I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Can you say, God chose me for a purpose? Because that's what it says. That's what it means. God chose me for a purpose. Far beyond my merit, I know it. But God chose me for a reason. Are you living according to that reason? If you say, I don't even know what it is, at least start with verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Start thanking Him. If it's a hard word to swallow still, start, start thanking Him. Start thanking Him. This is your identity in Christ. All that you are, all that you do, do it for the praise of his glory. And there you're starting. <laughs> there you're starting to understand why he chose you. It's a big topic, isn't it? I hope there's things here that will be useful to you. The more I studied it, the more I said, "Wow, well, Lord, this is... I, honestly, I, I when we went away to South Carolina this last week, um, I've been thinking about the sermon the whole time. I write them every week. So they're not in a book somewhere. I'm not pulling them out. But uh, I I was thinking about it. And then when I got back, I said, I sure hope chosen is the next word. Because that's the one I spent the whole week thinking about. And I was glad it was. It was the next word I thought it was in the list. But um, anyway, if it wasn't, I would have reversed the order today. Because this has been on my heart. And it's such a dear thing to me. And I hope it's just as dear to you. What a precious God we have that he should look down upon people like us and say, I chose you. Aren't you thankful for that? Heavenly Father, what beautiful things you've done for us. We could just bask in it today as we think about what you have done. Oh, I know, Lord, you've given to us the, the responsibility on this earth of proclaiming the gospel. For there are those, even probably among us today, who do not know Christ as Savior, And scripture has made it clear. We're supposed to proclaim the word of God, that they might hear, that they might believe, that they might have faith in Christ. And we don't hesitate to do that. But somehow wrapped up in the mystery of it all, is that you chose us. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room right now that you've chosen, and they don't know it, draw their hearts to yourself right now. Draw them this way, Lord. Let them see there is a Savior, one who has died to set them free from the wrath of God. That, yes, there's a wages of sin and it's death, but Jesus Christ paid that price. He died. That we might be set free and that we might be children of God, that we might have forgiveness of our sins and hope of eternal life. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today that needs Christ, bring them to understand that now, we pray. And help us to be bold, to share the gospel with them. But Lord, for us who already know you, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for loving us so much that this this passage today has warmed our hearts. We give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.